Hey, I'm so glad you guys are all uh, here today for the, the wrap-up of this series that we've been in, Fixer Upper. We've been talking about uh, those houses that you, that you look at and maybe you want to you move, you want to buy a new house, or you're looking to flip a house, and you, you see it, and it's got, it's got good bones, it's, or it's in a great location, but it really needs some work. And you think, man, if I, if I had the time and money, I could invest in this, I could make it something great, but it is not great right now. And that's, that's us, right? That's, that's you and me. We are fixer-uppers. Our hearts, our lives, we have good bones. We were made in the image of God. But we need some work. And if, if, if God is willing to partner with us and we can invest some time and energy and we can, we can get this thing in good shape, we can get it where it needs to be, but, man, we really need some work. So we, we started out talking about the, the initial investment. How much are you willing to invest? What is, what is it going to cost to get this thing, this life of yours, this heart of yours, where it ought to be? And the answer was everything. It's going to cost you everything, and it's going to be totally worth it. The next time we talked about uh, the foundation and how to build on the foundation of the words of Jesus and to make that the rock that we stand on so that when the storms of life come, our house will stand. And last week we talked about doing the hard work of gutting out all the stuff that is holding you back from being the person God created you to be, the sin that keeps you from being the person that God has called you and gifted you to be. And today we're gonna talk about the, the last part of the episode. You know, if you're watching one of these fixer-upper episodes, what, what's the last thing that happens? It's the reveal, right? Where they, they blindfold the homeowners and say, come in, we're gonna show you, or they, they pull back the big wall or move that bus or something like that. And the owner gets to see the result, the reward for all of this hard work, all, all of this investment that they've made of their time and money, and this is the best part, right? Everybody's crying and they're so happy. And so what, what does that look like in your life? What is the reward? Where, where, where do you get the chance to step back and say, whew, we made it. We finally made it. So for, for Sarah and I, we, we recently updated our bathroom. And if you were here last week, you were really mad at me when you left because you thought, well, we saw the old bathroom. Where's the new bathroom? Okay, I saved it for today, very strategically. Uh, some of you might think that I did the whole bathroom remodel strategically for this sermon. Like, how far will this guy go for a sermon illustration? Pretty far. Okay, so this was the old bathroom, and it may not look bad to you, but we lived in it for three years, and it, it just wasn't great, right? And, and Sarah had just had it. So we, we decided we were going to change some things and ended up changing almost everything. So here's the new bathroom, and uh, that's, that's what it looks like now. And uh, yeah, it's... It, it, Probably the shower curtain might be the best part. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know if you can see what that is, but um, but this you know new floors, painted cabinets, painted the walls. Uh, there's a next next slide shows the tile job that we did, and this was the reward. Now every time Sarah and I walk into that room, not together, that'd be weird. Just but whenever we go in to that room, it's like yes, this this is what we got for all of that hard work and all that money and, and that one day of tiling the shower when we thought we were going to kill each other. This is the reward, and it was worth it. So we walk in now, we go, okay, maybe this is not how you would have done your bathroom. I, that's fine, but we love it, and we know it's so much better than it was. If you had, you know, experienced what it was, you would know this is just better. It was worth it. So where is that moment when you get that in your life, when you're able to say, okay, you, 
You may not think I'm, I'm such a great person, I'm at such a great place in life, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I looked like before. If you could have seen me then and, and you see me now, you know, this is just better. This is just better. How do we, how do we get to that place? What, what, what is it that we're chasing? Where is our reward? That's, that's a big question. I, I think we, we're kind of instant gratification people. That's just part of human nature. We want what we want and we, we kind of want it now. And the idea of, of waiting for a reward, I mean, it's really tough. It tries our patience. And I think that as Christians, most of us, most, most people who are Christians, if you say why, just give me one reason why you're a Christian. The number one reason people are going to give is because I want to go to heaven and not hell when I die. Number one reason. We want a reward. And we kind of want it now. And so this idea of heaven, it's so far away. It seems so foreign. It's like this mystical, magical place that we can't really describe and we're not exactly sure what it's going to be like and maybe there's going to be some streets of gold and I don't know if there's angels playing harps, I don't know, but we just, we assume it's going to be better, but it, it feels so foreign that we can't really own it right now and, and sometimes the reward of heaven is maybe not enough to just get your fire going. What, what if there was something we could experience now? The world will tell you there are rewards you can have right now. There, there are things that you can chase and pursue that will give you a reward in this life. You don't have to wait until you die, and, and, and there's some things that you can have right now if you'll, if you'll choose to pursue them the right way. The world says you gotta climb a ladder. You, you, you gotta get to the top. So here, here's, here's, here are the instructions. Most of us are born somewhere, somewhere in the middle. You're not born on the bottom, usually. You think you are. You think you're like, you know, I, I'm poor, or I'm not from a, you know, influential family, and I'm, maybe I'm at the bottom, but there's always somebody lower than you, you know, so you're not exactly at the bottom. Somebody, anybody getting nervous? Miss Jean is like, please don't go any far, farther, look. <laughs> we could make a bet on if, who's more nervous, you or me, so. <laughs> one more? No, we'll just stay right here. So, you're somewhere on this ladder, and the world will tell you that the higher you go, the closer you are to your reward. If you, if you could just make a little more money, You'd get there. You'd be happy. And all the, all the anxiety and the worry and the fear that you have over your finances, be gone. The world will tell you, if you could go just a little farther, if you could get a little higher, if you could find a better person to partner with in life. You know that person you're with? They're not that great, are they? Maybe you could find somebody better, go a little higher up the ladder. Then you would have all kinds of joy in your relationship instead of what you're experiencing now, which is kind of like the struggle and it's hard and you're not sure it's worth it every day. And, and the world will even tell you. And, and sometimes the world sends this message, it filters it through the church. And so it sounds really good. The world will even tell you, if you could just be a better person, if you could just do more good and less bad, you're gonna get to this place at the top of the ladder where you don't have guilt and shame in your life anymore. It's just gone. Well, guess what? The world doesn't love you. <laughs> and the world is eager to lie to you the things that we're chasing, pursuing, that we think are at the top of this ladder. Listen, you know people that have been to the top. You know people that have at least gone farther than you. They have more money than you. They've got a better spouse than you. They've got like, less guilt and shame. They do more good than you. And they're still not free from fear and anxiety and worry and guilt and shame and brokenness in their relationships. What if the answer is not at the top? What if the answer is at the bottom? What if the answer is, is that instead of going, trying to get above people, I go, I go below, I go beneath. 
and I go down to where Jesus is because Jesus is the one who said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My knees are not shaking anymore. We're gonna, we're gonna be just fine. This is, this is what Paul is trying to capture, the Apostle Paul. If we wanna know what our reward really looks like, we need to hear it from people that we're pretty sure they had a good, clear picture of it. Because I think sometimes our picture in our head is really fuzzy about the reward. So let's see if, if Paul can clarify it for us. And in Philippians chapter three, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open that. Uh, you can get to it through the app or you can follow along on the screen. Uh, Paul... He, he got that. He like understood this. Now, I'll tell you, when, I don't believe that when Paul had his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, that he, that he got up from the ground speaking these words. I believe this is something that Paul came to after years of being with Jesus, uh, serving Jesus and following Jesus. But I think it's something that we can learn from and we can grow through the revelation that Paul had about what he's chasing. So we're gonna read this. In Philippians chapter three, we're gonna go seven through 14. In the first part of the chapter, Paul basically just says, we have no reason for confidence in the flesh. And by in the flesh, he just means things that are temporary, things that are gonna die and go away someday. Paul is gonna tell us that when it came to being good, to being like a good person, he, he made it to the top of the ladder. If you look at verse six, he says, according to the law, I was blameless. You ever been able to say words like that without cracking a smile? According to the law, I was blameless. He said, I got to the top of the being good ladder. I was as good as a person can be. And then he's gonna say this. Look at verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Okay, let me pause just for a second because we really scrubbed that word up in our English translations. Paul doesn't say rubbish. He says a word in Greek that means something that if I actually translated it into English for you, you would be very offended but it's basically the stuff you flush down the toilet is what Paul said. That, that my journey to the top of this ladder and everything I gained, it's garbage. It's, you would flush it right down the toilet because I found something so much better. What is it? I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He said, I tried that. I went to the top of that ladder, and that is not where it's at. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I try to imagine what Paul was thinking and feeling when these words got put on paper 
Paul didn't write all of his letters by hand. He dictated most of them. And I'm just imagining him like making this really passionate statement like, I just want to know Jesus. I want to share in his suffering. I want to be like him in his death. And his scribe is going, Paul, you got to slow down. I can't, I can't write that fast. And he's like, I can't slow down. This is so, this is like, this is my heart. This is my reason why. This is the reason why I go into these cities and I preach the gospel to people that want to kill me. This is the reason why when they drag me outside the city and they stone me half to death, that I get up and I go right back into the same city. This is the reason why I'm sitting in prison right now is because this is what I'm chasing. I want to know Jesus. I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. I press on so that I can take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to know him. I want to become like him. For Paul, there was this inseparable connection between his reward and Jesus. To him, it was the same thing. It wasn't this idea of this place somewhere in a land far away where there's, there'll be no more tears or crying or pain. I believe in that. I believe that that's our, our eternal destiny, and I'm looking forward to that, but that's not what Paul is, is so jacked up about. That's not why he's so excited. He's so excited because the love of his life, Jesus Christ, is his reward. And the closer he gets to Jesus, the closer he gets to experiencing that reward every single day. So can you relate to that? Do those words just seem like a little foreign to us and not real life? I think we're taught to create this separation between um, what we're experiencing on earth now and the heaven that, that we've got pictured in our heads and we know we can't get there. So in the meantime, we're just stuck to do the best we can to try to make the most of the rewards available in this life. And we kind of expect God to, to dole those out or we expect the world to, to meet us halfway and delayed gratification thing just doesn't seem to work. But you see, Paul is not leveraging his audience for fame and wealth. He could, he's got a big audience. He could be rich. He's not doing that because worldly wealth is rubbish to him. He is, he, he is not going around uh, bragging about how good he is because he was able to keep the law better than any other person. That was the value of his culture. If the value of our culture is like, like wealth or, or maybe just the being wealthy enough to have leisure, like no one can tell me what to do with my time, if that's the value of our culture, the value of Paul's culture that he was raised in was righteousness according to the law. That was their value. And he doesn't go around leveraging that so that people will respect him. To him, his righteousness according to the law, he would just flush it right down the toilet. He's chasing something totally different than what we're chasing. I think we, we, we're culture desperate for significance. If you don't believe that, just check out, Justin shared this screenshot with me he found online. It's, it's talking about, it's a new, kind of a news blurb about teens encouraging each other to disappear for a couple of days so you can be social media famous when your parents think that you're gone. You, maybe you've been taken or you ran away. And Why? Why would they do that? If you're, if you're an older person, you might look at that and go, that's just stupid. But for, for teenagers, they, they're in this world where they think anybody can be famous for a minute. I want my minute. I want my, I want my little time of fame, and I'll do whatever I have to do to get it. It's the world that we've created for them. What is your reward? What are you chasing? The problem with climbing the ladder is that 
all the stress and anxiety and fear and uncertainty and guilt and shame that we think we're leaving behind, we're actually taking with us. You, you, you know the stories of the people that have been to the top and they've got the same stress and anxiety that you do, the same bitterness and pain and unforgiveness and cancer doesn't know any boundaries and addiction doesn't know any boundaries when it comes to wealth or status. You're not leaving any of that stuff behind. What if the way is to follow Jesus to the bottom? As Paul says, to share in his sufferings. Do you, do you know what kind of sufferings Jesus endured? Paul did. He was very familiar with the kind of sufferings Jesus endured. And he wanted to suffer with Jesus. Why? Because doing anything with Jesus was Paul's reward. Just to be with him. If Jesus is suffering, I'll suffer. Because at least I get to be with Jesus. That was his reward. So how did, where did he come up with this idea? How, how, how did he get this? He got it directly from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus teaches about eternal life, especially in the Gospel of John. If you read through the Gospel of John, just, just take a challenge, try to, try to make a mark on all the places where you see the phrase eternal life. There's a lot of them. Most of them are coming right out of the mouth of Jesus. But when Jesus said eternal life, Paul heard something different than we hear when we hear eternal life. Let's, let's take a classic example, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, feel free to say it along with me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What do you think of when you hear that? Heaven. I get to go to heaven when I die. That's what that means, right? That's not what Paul heard. Paul heard something different. When Paul heard the phrase eternal life, he heard an eternal kind of life, that I get to live a different way right now. And Jesus says this over and over again, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna use some different words just to help us think about it differently, okay? And here are the words I came up with. If you don't like these words, that's fine. When you get a microphone, you can make different ones. Um, here, here's the words we're gonna use. Righteous immortality. This is what I think Jesus meant when he said eternal life, something like this, this is the essence of it. And I think this is what Paul heard when he reads the teaching of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. We're gonna read a few more verses that, uh, where Jesus talks about this. And when you see the phrase eternal life, I want you to say out loud in English, righteous immortality, okay? You ready? Let's go back to John 3, 16. Let's do that one over again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have Righteous immortality. Jesus was teaching in John chapter four. He said, I am the living water. He said, whoever drinks from me will never die. In fact, he says, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to righteous immortality. In John 17, uh, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, Father, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give righteous immortality, to whom you have given him, he says, this is righteous immortality, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then in John chapter six, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and this huge crowd chased him across the lake for more bread and he said, I'm the bread of life and, and whoever wants to be a part of me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the people said, that's, that's weird. We don't, we don't actually like that. We're out and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of righteous immortality. And there is just example after example after example of Jesus 
trying to communicate to people that here's what I'm here to offer you. It's not just freedom from guilt, and it's not just hope that, that someday you're gonna sit on a cloud and play a harp. I mean, who's really excited about that anyway? It's, it's a righteous immortality that you can have right now. So let's break this down. What is, what is righteous? How do we get this righteousness? Paul said, I don't want a righteousness of my own. I tried that. I climbed that ladder all the way to the top and did not find what I was looking for. I want a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what righteousness means. Everything is right between you and God. Everything is right between you and God. When God looks at you, he's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. God loves you because if you are in Christ, if you have given your life, remember we're building on a series here. So if you made the investment and you gave your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees Jesus's righteousness. You are righteous. Everything is right between you and God. And the immortality part means everything is right between you and God forever, forever, forever. So, so death is not the end of anything. Death is just a transition point. Because ever since I gave my life to Christ, I have been one of the righteous immortal. I, I love the word immortality. I, I think this is a good word. I, I think we should use this more because this is something that our, our species relates to really well. Human beings have been chasing this ever since the Epic of Gilgamesh. You guys remember the Epic of Gilgamesh? Of course you do, y'all. Just finished reading it last week, didn't you? It's an ancient story, and it has some, you know, some of the same stories that we find in the Bible. It has a creation myth, and it has a, a, a flood story. Gilgamesh was on a quest for immortality. That's what that story's about. And ever since then, we see it in art and literature and music. This quest for living forever, it still exists today. There's this uh, Yahoo, there's this guy, I mean, out in Los Angeles, uh, named Josh Bocanegra, who started this company called Humai, H-U-M-A-I. And he has said that in 30 years, he'll be able to take your consciousness, your brain, and put it into a robot so that you can live forever. You won't have to deal with cancer or knee replacements or, I mean, you may still have knee replacements, but they'll be very different. I think he's crazy, he, this might actually be a hoax, but he's telling everybody, this is what we're gonna do because we wanna live forever. He knows he's tapping into one of the deepest longings of the human heart. We wanna, we wanna know that we, we're gonna live forever. And Jesus says, You're, you are. You are gonna live forever. But there's some kinds of immortality that we can't get too excited about. And maybe you've seen these kind of dystopian versions one of the classic examples is in Gulliver's Travels. You guys read Gulliver's Travels too, didn't you? Man, the literacy rate. We got to work on this. Okay, Gulliver's Travels, uh, he, he visited this one land where there was a people there who never died. And he thought, oh, that's really cool. They never died. But then he found out they also never stop aging. They just keep getting older and older and, and more and more feeble and, and less and less able to actually do things forever. And he said, no thanks, I, I'd rather die. <laughs> and some of you are like, yep, <laughs> I've seen that window, I, I don't wanna go through it. There, there are some versions of living forever. If we look at the world we live in, that's full of brokenness and pain and suffering and cancer and addiction and oppression and injustice, and we go, do I wanna live forever in a world like this? I don't think so. 
So we do know there's a transition point when Jesus is gonna make everything new. And his version of immortality is better. His version of immortality means that this is what it means to you. This is what I want you to, to really take to heart. His version of immortality means you are going to outlive all your problems. Doesn't that sound good? You're gonna outlive all your problems. Whatever is ailing you this morning, when you tried to roll out of bed and you thought, this is getting harder every day, you're gonna outlive that. You're gonna outlive it. Whatever the relationship struggle that you're in and you don't know how to solve it and you've been working at it and working at it and you can't figure it out, you're gonna outlive that too. Whatever evil you see in the world around you and you think, oh man, I wish there was a way to protect my kids from this. I, I hope this doesn't come to our community and I can't believe the direction that the world is going. You're gonna outlive that too. This is what immortality means. Jesus one day is gonna make everything new and you're gonna outlive all your problems. Doesn't that sound good? And it's not just any kind of immortality. It is righteous immortality. Everything is right between you and God forever. And Jesus says, you can start today. He says three, in three different occasions when he mentions eternal life, John 3.36, John 5.24, John 6.47. If you're really quick, you wrote all those down. Otherwise, catch them on the podcast. <clears throat> he, he uses the phrase, if you believe in me, Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Not will have someday in the future. Not hopefully if you die, you're gonna get to go to heaven. But whoever believes in me has eternal life right now. Your righteous immortality starts today. The moment that you decide Jesus is my only hope, the moment that you can say with, along with Paul that, that everything that I have to give up to be with Jesus is completely worth it. Your righteous immortality starts then. And this is what Paul is chasing when Paul says, I, I haven't taken hold of it yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The reason Jesus took hold of me is to give me this righteous immortality, according to John 3.16. And I want to take hold of it more and more. Paul was saying, I believe in my righteousness that everything is right between God and me because of what Jesus did. And I believe in the resurrection from the dead and I'm going to outlive all my problems. And I want to believe it more. Isn't, isn't that kind of where we're at? Like, I believe it. I just wish I believed it more. I wish I believed it as much tomorrow morning as I do this morning. I, I wish that I could own it every time I have to make a decision about what I'm facing in this life, that I could just remind myself, I am one of the righteous immortal. Everything is right between God and me. In a, in, a, in a world where everything is right between God and you, is there room for shame for you to carry around guilt over things that you repented from a long time ago? Is there room for that in a world where everything is right between God and you? Nope, no room for shame. Confess, repent, and move on because you are one of the righteous immortal. In a world where I'm gonna outlive all my problems, is there a reason to be stressed out about my finances right now? Nope. You're gonna outlive it. You're one of the righteous immortal. Can you see how if we could live as though our righteous immortality was a reality, it would change the way we see the world, the way we see our problems, the way we see the people around us because the people around you are also immortal and they have potential to be righteous immortal or to be unrighteous immortal. They have potential for everything to be right between God and them and they also have potential to be on the wrong side of that. 
And what if you get to be a part of God revealing to them that through Jesus they can be right with God? What if you get to be a part of seeing someone go from unrighteous immortal to righteous immortal? What if you get to be a part of that? Can you think of anything better? This is what we're called to. This is what Paul was so excited about. This is why Paul went to prison with joy. If you read this whole book of Philippians, Paul is in jail as he writes this, and he talks about joy over and over again. How can he have joy in prison? Because he's righteously immortal. And he gets to be a part of telling other people that this is available to you right now. It's his joy. It's his passion. It's his fuel. It's his fire. And I want it to be mine. And I want it to be yours. So when we think about our reward, why, why invest all of this? Why give my life to this man, Jesus? Why build my house on the foundation of his words? Why open the dark closets of my sin and gut it and rip everything out? Why do this? Because Jesus is offering me righteous immortality. In fact, he's not just offering it to me. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not, it's not just a thing that we're pursuing. It's a person. It is found in Jesus, and Paul got this. He got this so deeply. I want to know him. I want to become like him in his suffering and in his death because he is my righteous immortality. So what is your reward? It's righteous immortality. And how do you take hold of it? Jesus. Just move closer to Jesus. Take a step to knowing him more today. Take a step to becoming like him more today. Well, how do I become like Jesus? I mean, he was the son of God, right? How do I do that? He told you, love one another as I have loved you. That's it. If you will love one another as Jesus has loved them, you are becoming like Jesus and you are owning, you're stepping into your own righteous immortality more every time you do it. And there are those moments when you're gonna get to step back and say, okay, I laid it down for someone else. I sacrificed myself. Where's my reward? And Jesus is gonna say, this is it. You're closer to me. This is your reward. You get to know everything is right between you and God forever, and you're gonna outlive all your problems because you are with me. That's what Paul is chasing, and that's what I wanna chase, and that's what I want you to chase because I believe that if we really believed it, if we stood on the confidence of that, we would live differently. And I know I need to live differently. I'm a fixer-upper. I got good bones, but I got some work to do. Getting close to Jesus is my only hope. This is why we pray for one here, by the way, is because we are convinced that everyone has an opportunity to step into this righteous immortality with Jesus. And some people don't know it. And they need to know it. They, don't, they not only need to hear the gospel come out of our mouths, they need to see it lived out in our words and actions. And we pray every day, God, give me one person, one opportunity to show somebody else what you have to offer them through the way I live and the way I love. So I wanna ask you to join me as we pray. I'm gonna ask you to pray that God would help you to own your righteous immortality. And, and actually, if you're not in Christ, I need to say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never gone all in, if you've never made the investment to give your life to Christ, you don't have righteous immortality. Because the only way 
to get it is through Jesus. So if you don't have it, today's the day. Just get it today. Give your life to Christ today. And Jesus says, whoever follows me has eternal life. You can start today. If you have it, if you've already given your life to Christ, you need to be praying about who's next. Jesus, who's the next person that you want to invite into this righteous immortality? And can I help? Can I help? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for this message of hope. And the reality is it's better than we thought. It's better than we thought. It's different than we thought. And it's better. It might cost us more, but it's worth it. And I pray that you would impress that on our hearts through your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that there are those in this room who have never taken a step to follow Jesus that will take that step today because of the hope that you offer that nothing else in this world can offer. And God, I pray that there are those in this room who will make a decision today to pray for one, to live out the gospel in a way that shows other people what it is that you have to offer them. We pray that more and more people will step into the eternal life that you've called us to through the lives of the people sitting in this room right now. We can't wait to see what you do through that, Father. In the meantime, help us to own it. Help us to own that you have offered us something we can take hold of today and take hold of more tomorrow and more the next day. And may we follow the words of Paul. May we press on. May we press on toward the goal. In Christ's name, amen. The only reason we can have this conversation, the only reason that we can even hope for righteousness with God is because of Jesus. I think many of you, if you're like me, you're kind of brought up in a, in a, in a family and in a church culture that, that said, if you're good enough, if you can get high enough up this ladder, God will be happy with you and maybe he'll take you to heaven when you die. And I was, I was so set free when I realized that's not actually how it works that Jesus paid for my sin when he went to the cross, when his body was broken and his blood was shed, he paid for my sin. I don't have to race to the top of a goodness ladder. I get to live a life of love because Jesus has set me free. That's what we celebrate here this morning. As we take the bread and the juice, I just pray that you will honor God with this time, that you'll be thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus and you'll acknowledge what it means for you. It means that everything is right between God and you forever. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for this communion that we take this morning. May we acknowledge the body and blood of Jesus. May we acknowledge each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And may you be pleased with the way we spend this time. In Jesus' name, amen.